0: Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the word this morning. It's good to hear what you've been doing this week, Jesus. Thank you that you're alive and you are at work in our midst as we trust you and look to you. And we want to trust you and look to you now to come and work through your word We know, Lord, unless you're working, this word is just going to be words on a page. There will be no change in our hearts, but we need you to come and change our hearts. I need you to come and change my heart more, Lord, now. And so would you come and do that? Open our eyes. Soften our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Hearts to say yes to what you are saying in your word this morning. So we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. as I was uh, studying our passage for this week in James I I thought of a couple verses in the Gospel of John where Jesus says something that just really struck me this week more powerfully than maybe ever before because what Jesus says is the result of his work in our hearts will give us a love for each other the love for each other in the body of Christ that will be so amazing to people that, that when people see our love for each other, people who don't know Christ, when they see our love for each other, they'll be convinced that Jesus came from God. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that, that the love Jesus will give us for each other in the body of Christ will be so astonishing to people who aren't believers that when they see the level of love that we have, they'll say, whoa, Jesus did come from God. This is amazing. The reason I want to mention that is that, like I said, I thought of that when I Studied this week's passage because in this week's passage, James gives what I think is one of the most amazing aspects of the kind of love that we can have for each other. And I'm praying that this morning, see, part of our vision here is to be like a countercultural community of love or, or to form up in our home groups, countercultural communities of love. So that in our neighborhoods, people in our workplaces, friends we have who don't know Christ, as they see us loving each other, going to each other's softball games, and you know, doing the different things like we shared this morning. As as people see that kind of love for each other, they'll say, "Jesus did come," and they'll come to know Him. Doesn't that sound awesome? So this passage is going to help us form up even more that kind of a countercultural community. So a community of love. So let's turn to James chapter two, it's verses one through seven. And if you need a Bible, we, we like to have everybody have a Bible that you can open up and study with us. We are passionate about studying the Bible here at Mercy Hill Church, Sunday mornings. And so don't be bashful, raise your hand. James is on page 1011 in the Bibles we're passing out. I'd like you all to be able to have. Need another one over here. Thanks, Phil. James chapter 2. And let me give you a little bit of background. It's been three weeks since we've been in James. I'm so glad to be back in James this week. Uh, here's what's going on. James has a letter written by a man named James, okay, no surprise, who was Jesus' brother, uh, who became, James became one of the most, more significant leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Pastor, leader, apostle, teacher there. Around AD 42, a massive persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and hundreds of believers had to flee with basically nothing more than the clothes on their back, leaving behind homes and possessions and, 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 uh, you know, what they would live on. And so they fled north, northern Palestine, Syria area, basically as homeless refugees. And James writes this letter to them to encourage them, keep trusting Jesus. Don't stop trusting him. So in chapter one, he says, count this trial as pure joy because it's going to soften and refine and prepare your heart, draw you closer to Jesus, just like what Paul was sharing from 1 Peter 4 this morning. Then in verse five, chapter one, he says, When you face questions, you don't have wisdom you need, ask God. He'll give you all the wisdom you need for the different trials you're facing. He comforts them in chapter 1. Don't worry about this loss of social standing that you've experienced. Social status means nothing compared to what it means to know Jesus Christ. And he knows they're being tempted lots of different ways. He says, fight temptation with the word of God and take care of the orphans and the widows that are in your midst. So that brings us through chapter 1. And then... Here in chapter 2, James calls them to love each other in a way that that will be astonishing to those who see it. Look at what he says, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So James calls them, James would call us, Show no partiality. Now, what does that mean? What what is partiality? Okay? Let's take a look. He he gives us an illustration right here in verses 2 through 4, which makes it, I think, crystal clear what partiality is. Look at verses 2 through 4. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, ah, You stand over there, sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, so do you see what partiality is? It's, it means treating people differently based on factors like wealth prestige, power, popularity, that kind of thing. That's what partiality means. And so followers of Jesus, we are called not to treat people differently based on those kinds of factors. Now, do any of us struggle with partiality? Uh, Let me give you an illustration I thought of that helped me see that I would do, would. Uh, Imagine that this morning, five minutes to ten, Mike Singletary. You're you're all wondering why he's up there, okay? Mike Singletary and his family walks into Mercy Hill Church. They're looking for a church. Mike Singletary, said I should explain this in case the women don't know who he is. Okay, he's the coach of the 49ers, amazing defensive player for the Chicago Bears, strong believer, one of my heroes, just a great leader, godly man. So imagine there's five minutes to 10 this morning, Mike Singletary and his family walk in and they're looking for a church. (laughs) how would you feel about that? Oh, I mean, would, would you feel excited? Anybody feel excited? Like, how cool to tell your friends, oh, I go to the church that Mike Singletary goes to. How cool would that be, okay? So, you'd be excited, you'd be thrilled that he's here, you'd be glad he's, he's, you know, he's looking at this church. So imagine that he walked into this church and how, how you'd feel about it. I mean, you'd think, man, he could give added prestige to our church, or, you know, who knows, he gets season tickets, all of the, the possibilities are endless, you know, the things that could happen. And so, how would we tend to respond. I mean, would, would we like make sure somebody goes over to welcome them? Would we like maybe go come find me or any other elders so that we could have some of the leaders, you know, come and meet them, you know? And, um, you know, just would we maybe like during the sharing time, we'd like to publicly welcome the Singletary family, you know, for being here this morning, you know? Maybe we do that, right? So you kind of feeling that? And now let's rewind the tape. Five minutes to 10. And there's an older guy pushing a shopping cart. Getting through the doors, you know, all of his stuffs in the shopping cart, you know, and he he pushes through and kind of you know barely makes it over here and, and 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 parks his like shopping cart like here and then comes and like sits like like maybe right in the front row or like in the second row like right here. Okay, how would you feel? He loves Jesus. He's here. He's looking for church. Okay, would you be excited? Would you think? Uh, I wish maybe he would have thought of another church to look at becoming a part of. Would you think, ah, look, what if visitors here this morning that we want to be here kind of aren't as interested if they see him being here? Anybody have any of those thoughts come through our mind? Would we um, welcome him, especially make sure people go up and welcome him? Would we you know, come find me or any other elders so that the leaders could like, meet him, you know, love him? Welcome him here. Um, would we like maybe publicly welcome him during the sharing time? So, do you feel the difference? Any anybody anybody get that? Okay, so I'm I'm asking the question: Do we struggle with partiality? And I think it's clear that we all do. We all tend to treat people differently based on money or power or prestige. But now imagine what it would be like. This is amazing to think about. May the Lord do it here. Imagine that if we were a group of believers where a homeless man was as welcomed as Mike Singletary and his family. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it? Or a developmentally disabled person would be loved as much as a Mike Singletary and his family. Or a a very old person. Or a five-year-old child, loved, welcomed, rejoiced in, honored as much as a a Mike Singletary and his family. That's the kind of love that Jesus enables his people to have. That's the kind of love that he will give to us as we're following him. That's what James mm-hmm. calls us to have here. So how do we do that? How do we love without partiality? Now, as, at this point, it's like the, the road forks and goes in two very different directions. We could just, and, and, and I think a lot of us, because of background or whatever, we, we, we tend, some of us tend to go towards the path of moralism. And what I mean by that word is it's just like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to start being impartial. I'm going to stop being partial. I'm just going to just choose willpower and do it. But that moralism thing, that you know, kind of the, the just do it approach to sanctification or spiritual growth, that's not Bible. It's not Jesus. It's not gospel. What Jesus says is, That when we receive him, who he is, the truth of who he is, and we know him and fellowship with him and behold who he is and trust who he is, the person of Jesus in the truth of who he is will change our hearts so we will be impartial people. So it's not like, oh, I forgot to be impartial today. But you will be. That's who you will be. Your love will be that way. Not just doing, but being, changing And so in this passage, and in every passage in the scripture, the biblical authors give us truth about God as he's revealed in Jesus, which, if we will embrace those truths, trust those truths, know Jesus in those truths, our hearts will be changed to do whatever the commands are in scripture. And in this case, our hearts will be changed so we become people who don't show any partiality. So I found three truths in verses 1 through 7. A couple more big ones, we're going to cover those next week in verses 8 to the end, but just just wanted to cover these three in verses 1 through 7 this morning. Three truths about Jesus, which if we will embrace them, trust Him in those truths, our hearts will be changed and we will become people who don't show any partiality. This is so important here on Sunday morning, but think about your home group too. What what a powerful thing if your home group community had this kind of love for whoever you met or came up against in the street or in your neighborhood or... Anyway, okay. First truth is that Jesus himself will bring you everything you need. Now, why is that important to know? And then I'll show you where it is in the passage. As I thought about... Like, why do we tend to be partial towards certain people, kind of like, you know, fawn over certain people or kiss up to certain people? Why do we do that? Isn't it because we want to get something from them? Isn't that why? Why? There's something that they have we want to get, season tickets, or maybe a job with the 49ers, or or I can tell my friend, how cool is that, that the singletaries go to our churches. There's something that we want to get from them, and so we show partiality towards them. Isn't that right? There's something we want to get from them. And this would have been especially true for James readers. I mean, again, put yourself in their shoes if you can. Homeless refugees, sleeping in caves, maybe in tents don't know where their next meal is going to come from in many cases very poor needy hardship poverty difficulty so imagine how they would have felt if in their worship gathering a believer walks in from the area who who owns a number of like chariot dealerships or something okay it's like wow wow dude's jobs jobs I mean, he could like donate to our benevolence fund and we could help each other out, you know, more effectively here. I mean, he, he's got connections here. He could protect us politically. He can introduce us to important people. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, right? Can you feel that? One of the reasons we show partiality towards people is because we want to get something from them. But James would say to his readers and to us, you don't need To do that. And the reason is because of verse 1. Look at what he says My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So there's a connection here, notice in James' mind, between not showing partiality and trusting Jesus Christ. There's a connection here. The reason we don't need to show partiality is because we're trusting Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, because we're trusting that Jesus Christ has promised all through his word, he will give us, he, Jesus, will give us whatever we need. But when we're fawning over someone or kissing up to someone or showing partiality towards someone at that moment, we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus Christ, in his power and his love and his mercy, has promised to give us whatever we need. Now, I'm trying to illustrate it like this. Let's say that over here, think about somebody who you tend to be partial towards. If you can think of that, or maybe just imagine, like a Mike Singletary or whatever. And the reason you tend to be partial towards them is because of what they can do for you. So think about this person over here, and then compare over here, Let's picture Jesus Christ. So just think about Jesus. Because when we're partial towards people, we have forgotten Jesus. We're just focusing on that person. So let's bring Jesus into the picture. Okay, now Jesus is alive right now. He came to earth 2,000 years ago, fully man, he's also fully God, has always been, So let that blow your mind, as God, Jesus has always been, no beginning, came to the earth as a man, fully man, fully God, 2,000 years ago, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. He's alive right now. Jesus Christ is alive right now, ready to do things that we need as we trust him and surrender our lives to him. And we can see the the power that Jesus has to do things. We can see the power of that by the way he operated when he was on the earth. Like, one point in time, speaking to a blind eye stone-blind, dark, dead, no vision. He spoke to a blind eye, healed, that I just, I could see power. Or at one point in time, Jesus took five loaves and two fish, right? Thousands of people here listening to him teach, it's all the food that they all had. By his power, he multiplied it and he became enough food to feed all the thousands of the people with baskets full of leftovers, So as God, Jesus has infinite power. So does this person over here have infinite power? No. Does Jesus Christ have infinite power? Yes. And then, you see, as Jesus moves through Palestine, you see the love that he has and the care that he has and the compassion that he has. He loves people. He's showing God's love, his love. He is God. And so he has power, he has love, His presence satisfies our hearts. There's times where we we show partiality towards people because we want to kind of get emotional strokes from them. But in Jesus' presence, there is fullness of joy. When you know Jesus, when you worship Him, when you behold Him, you are satisfied. All your emotional needs are fully and lastingly met in Jesus Christ. All of them. That's no overstatement. It's not just preaching rhetoric. All of them. Now, he uses other people to meet your emotional needs at times too, and that's really good. But he, in himself, can meet every single one of your emotional needs all the time fully. So we've got power, we got love, we got heart satisfaction. And then one other question, you may be wondering, how can I, as a sinful person, ever be on the receiving end of all that Jesus wants to give? And the answer is his death on the cross. Right? He was punished for sin. So if you will repent and put your trust in him, you're totally forgiven for all of your sins. And the moment you trust Jesus, you're forgiven. He starts to change your heart. And at that moment, Jesus Christ starts to go to work doing good for you, rejoicing over you to do you good. Now, the reason we don't need to show partiality, verse one, is because we are holding the faith. We are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, because he will do everything for us that we need. Matthew 6.33, he'll provide the jobs and the finances that we need. Now, could he do that through a Mike Singletary? Of course. Or through a chariot dealer owner person? Yes, absolutely. But the difference is we're not relying on anything else. We rely on Jesus alone. We rely on Him. So again, put yourself in the shoes of one of James' readers. Very poor, barely feeding your family, not sure where you're going to live, you know, unemployment. So you can feel why you would tend to show partiality towards a rich person. But then can you see how your heart would change if, before this rich person walked in, you're just fully aware of Jesus Christ. Your power, your love, your heart satisfying presence, your death on the cross, your resurrection, you are for me, every need I will ever have, Jesus Christ will meet. If that was filling your hearts, then when the rich person walked in, you'd still reach out to this rich person, you'd still say, welcome, we're glad to have you here. But it wouldn't be to get something from him. You wouldn't show partiality towards him. Does that make sense? That's the first reason, the truth about Jesus If we're showing partiality towards someone, we've lost the fact that Jesus Christ promises to meet our every need. Do do you have in your mind, we've all got needs this morning, right? You've all got them. There's things you're worried about and concerned about. I need wisdom, I need a job, I need finances, I need, you know, just all the different things we're aware of that we need, right? We're all needy people, and if you're not, give it a couple more minutes, you'll think of a couple you have. Okay. Is central in your thinking? That if you're trusting Jesus, then Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, well, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, right there in black and white. Is that central in your picture as you're aware of your needs? Because if, if it's not, then you're going to be looking for some other, and you'll, oh, could, this person can be my needs, or this person, and you'll tend to show partiality. Does that make sense? But if Jesus is in the center you're free just to love people, the Mike Singletary's, and we'll come to the homeless person in a second. Okay, that's the first truth. We've got to see Jesus' promises to meet all of my needs. Oh, we could talk a lot more about that, but I'll move on. Okay, second truth. Understand that God has greatly honored many who are poor or disenfranchised or lowly or whatever. Okay, so back to the back to Mercy Hill Church five minutes to ten Sunday morning and in in comes this man pushing his cart very poor he loves Jesus dirty clothes unshaven and he comes up and parks his cart there and sits right here and and many of us would tend to feel uh, maybe embarrassed or wishing that maybe he would have looked at a different church to become a part of Um, hope visitors would be turned off and leave because he's here now here's what James would say if that's in your heart there's a huge truth that you are just like blind to at that moment. There's something massive that's true about this homeless man that you're not seeing. What you're missing is, look, look at verses 5 through 6a. He says, Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in Faith. And heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Can you think of any people in Bible times who were poor who God chose to save? Jan was mentioning to me like Mary and Joseph, okay? Remember? too poor to bring the, a, a lamb for the offering. They had to just bring, you know, the, the, the cheap offering was the bird. So they brought the bird one because they were too poor to afford the, you know, they, right? They were, and all through the Bible, we see that God has chosen poor people and he has saved poor people, lowly people, needy people. Now, it's not that God has chosen to save all of the poor. The Bible never says that. It's not that God has chosen to save none of the wealthy. Okay? Matthew, Zacchaeus, wealthy tax collectors, God chose to save them. It's that God has chosen to save many who are poor, who are lowly, who are impoverished. That's what's being talked about here. So, and just I mean, look at verse 5 again. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in? Faith. So here's the picture I had as I was thinking about this earlier this morning. So let's say that in the second row over here is Bill Gates. Bill Gates, okay, lots of money. In the second row over here is this homeless man. Now I'm assuming Bill Gates is not trusting Jesus at this point, okay? No disrespect intended to him, but very wealthy man who's not yet trusting Jesus. But here's this homeless man. This homeless man here has been chosen by God to be rich in faith and to become an heir to inherit the kingdom of God. The homeless man is infinitely more wealthy than Bill Gates. you see that? Do you feel that? Is that, is that your reality? That, oh, to be rich in faith to know God through Jesus, to have been born again, to inherit the kingdom, to know Jesus as my friend and my Lord and my, my heart's satisfaction, that's infinitely, infinitely more precious than six billion dollars or whatever it is. you feel that? Okay, look, if you don't feel that, there's something seriously amiss in, in your heart, friend. Okay, I love you, I care about you. If you don't feel that, you're, you're being seriously, and I, I, I get this way often too, but we're being seriously blinded by the lure of money, okay, we've got to understand that for God to choose to save this homeless man makes him infinitely more wealthy, truly, we're not just talking you know, spiritual, figurative, no, really more wealthy than Bill Gates would be. And if we see that, then we would see this homeless man in a whole different light. Right? If we see that. We've got to see that. So what we have to fight to see is the transiency of riches, the the temporariness of power, everything else, every other mountain that's been raised up against the knowledge of God will be brought low. Jesus Christ alone will be exalted on that day. Those who are rich in faith, that's what it's all about. We've got to keep fighting to see that, and when we see it, we will honor. We will honor those who in our culture would be viewed as lowly or not significant. You feel that? It would change our hearts if we saw this. So here's this homeless man walking. I mean, let's just kind of walk this through. Let's say that next Sunday a homeless man walks in. Um, if we would stop and think about this man was loved by Jesus so much that Jesus took this man's sin this homeless man's sin and welcomed that man's sin upon himself and Jesus was punished in the place of that homeless man and Jesus perfect righteousness was given to this homeless man as a gift so this this homeless man is completely forgiven for all of his sins he's clothed with Jesus perfect righteousness he's been adopted into God's family Creator, God is his father. God loves him with an everlasting love. Forever, this homeless man's going to be in the very presence of God. Now, if you, th- if you thought those thoughts to yourself, listen, wouldn't you respond to him differently? Wouldn't you? Hello? I mean, we've got to see it that way, though. Or let's, let's take another example. Um, let's think about a four-year-old in our children's ministry. Okay, A lot of us don't even see kids, okay. unless you're a parent, then you've got your kid antenna going, all right? But if you understood that this four-year-old in the children's ministry who loves Jesus, that at one point in his or her life... God the Father, before the foundation of the world, actually, not not in his life, but before the foundation of the world, God chose to set his affection on this child, even though this child was rebelling against God. And God chose to change this child's heart and save this child, give this child faith in Jesus. What a gift. And cause this child to be born again, have a whole new heart, a new nature given to him, given to her. And this child now knows Jesus. This child now is going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you've thought about those things, the next time you're back in children's ministry or when the kids all come rushing out or when they're out there at the picnic playing in the playground, you, you, you might give some time and just like get down on your knee and just say, how's it going? You know, And, and connect in real ways with a child. Right? Okay. Or we, we've, we've had in our, in our church body at times uh, people who've been developmentally disabled and I think that there's been a lot of love here shown towards them. But again, think about a man, a woman, developmentally disabled, who loves Jesus. How would you feel towards them if you realize God the Father sent Jesus the Son, sent his own Son, and punished his own Son so this developmentally disabled man or woman could be saved, forgiven, born again, God has demonstrated his love for this developmentally disabled man or woman by sending Jesus, who died for them. Wouldn't that change your heart and give you even more love and even more care? Do you see how this works? God has greatly honored many who are poor. And if we're embarrassed or shine them or shun them or move away from them or ignore them, I mean, let's just get a little bit more practical. Are there people in your home group that you tend to move away from? Why? What's the reason? Are you seeing them as blood-bought, God-loved, Jesus-saved, kingdom-inheritors? Wouldn't it change your heart if you saw them that way? Why don't you see them that way? Why are you choosing to ignore the most important thing about them and focusing on well what they did to you last week? Why? Do, do you see that the warfare that we're involved in? I mean, the most massive reality in the universe is this person's salvation, and I'm ignoring that. Well, I, I get awkward talking to them. They say things I don't like sometimes. okay, okay. Hey, we're all like that sometimes, right? Oh, let's love each other. Let's love each other. Okay, so that's the second truth. God is greatly honored many who are poor. And there's, there's one last one. I'm just going to be brief on this one. It's kind of a pragmatic point that James brings out. It's that James wants us to understand that anyone we rely on instead of Jesus can potentially harm us. End of verse six, verse seven. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name, Jesus, by which you are called? Okay, what's the point? It's not that there's anything wrong with having people in your life who have money or power or influence. That's, that's not James' point in this verse here. And Jesus could use those people in your life to, to bring you good. Nothing wrong with that either. But James is simply wanting us to understand, realize, if you rely on any person instead of Jesus, that person could harm you. Sound harsh? How many of you have ever counted on somebody like to give you emotional strokes or get you a job or make a connection and you were disappointed? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Everyone. Okay. It's true. The only person who will never disappoint you is Jesus Christ. Simple truth. Don't don't rely don't rely on people. Hey, go talk to the person about getting the job. Yes, okay. Don't don't like cut off all connections. But you don't rely. You're not depending. You're depending on Jesus. I remember when we were coming up here to, to plant this church, coming from another church, and I was going to meet with the the, the 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 senior pastor and find out if they're going to be able to support us financially. And I was all nervous before I went to that meeting because, oh man, you know, my family, my wife, my kids, you know, and I need money and. And, uh, and but I remember that morning as I was praying, I felt like, like the Lord just showed me from the scripture, God holds the purse strings. I don't need to worry about what anybody else can or can't do. And what they ended up doing was helpful. It was great. But I went in free because I need to rely on God. He's going to take care of me. Nobody else, no other person is more significant in fighting for my needs than God is. But that's all through the scriptures. Okay. One last question, then I want to get some, get some feedback from you and get some questions. Is it really possible to live this way? I mean, really? Is this, is this really possible to have our hearts be this changed? I mean, to be part of a community of people, a home group where a homeless person would be loved and welcomed as heartily and as genuinely as a Mike Singletary or a 90 year old in a wheelchair would be loved and welcomed and rejoiced in as much as a Mike Singletary or whatever. Is it possible? It is possible, not by gritting your teeth, saying, okay, I know, I've really got to become more impartial. I'm really going to work on this. That's not Bible. That's not Jesus. It's possible by embracing these truths about Jesus. Say, Jesus, you will provide for everything that I need. Jesus, you, by your salvation, have greatly honored people who are very poor and and impoverished and lowly. And Jesus, you are the only one who will never disappoint me. If you'll see those truths, embrace Jesus in those truths, abide in those truths feed on those truths, you'll be an impartial person. You'll be changed. We'll all be changed. It is possible. Let me prove it to you by reading you a letter. Part of a letter. Um, A guy named Aristeas wrote this letter in 133 A.D. It's a Christian man. Wrote it to the Roman emperor. Wanted to persuade the Roman emperor to become a follower of Jesus. And... To persuade the emperor, he described the lifestyle of followers of Jesus in 133 AD. Okay, public knowledge. This is Everybody knows. This is what Christians are like. He's just saying, this is what Christians are like. Nobody else lives this way. And listen to what he wrote. Two paragraphs. The Christians, O King, have the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ engraved on their hearts. It's hearts changed, and they keep them looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. They don't despise the widow and don't grieve the orphan. The one who has gives generously to the one who does not have. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if it were their own brother. Feel that? And if there is a man among them who is poor and needy and they don't have extra money, they fast two or three days so they can supply him with what he needs. It's possible. When... Jesus' commandments, the truth of Jesus is written in our hearts. When we're living with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, it's very possible. And then when people will see that level of love, they'll say, Jesus did come from God, didn't he? Okay, what, what questions does this raise in your mind? What, uh, am I getting the passage right? Um, Can you think of any yabbits? You know, yeah, but... Yeah, I think in the context here, James is talking about a believer walking into your assembly, but it's absolutely the same message. We see that in many other passages, right? Because this person could be loved by God in that way and saved by God in that way, created in the image of God, absolutely. We shouldn't treat anyone differently based on factors like money or power or health or age. Yeah, and so what's the, what's the difference there? And that's a really good question. I should think about that more. Maybe somebody else can. Um, I don't think it's a difference of love or care. It's a matter of responsibility. Like if I let my uh, child starve because I was feeding people who lived 10 miles away, that would be wrong of me because of my realm of responsibility. That's all that's going on there in Galatians 6, I think. But even let's, let's assume not. Let's, let's assume that Osama bin Laden walks in and he's not saved yet. Um, I, I, think, I think there would be two things, and maybe some of you can help, help answer this better than, than I'm going to here, but I'll, I'll give my shot. Um, we should love him. And we are glad he's here. And embrace him. And respect him and speak the gospel to him and, um, and call the police. So it's not a matter of uh, shunning him, and you weren't saying that, right? I mean, justice and mercy can work together. You can press charges against someone with tears, right? I, I wasn't a jury. We had, to, we had to put a guy away. We were all weeping. Anyway, so. Good word for us. This celebrity thing in the Christian world uh, has some major problems to it. That's a good, good caution for us, Ernie. Good question. I mean, are all, there are places in the scripture where um, we're told to give honor, like to the king, 1 Peter 3, so to political leaders. We should always speak respectfully of political leaders, no matter if you agree with them or not, right? So that there's a very appropriate call to show honor. Um, so I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't, you know, in terms of, isn't there a difference though between that kind of showing honor and a showing partiality that's trying to get something from someone? Is is that a helpful way to make the difference? I, I think it, I mean again I'm, I'm, I'm not being very clear but I think probably it comes down at least the heart question would clear up a lot of the problems maybe not all of them but in terms, what's my motive right because we should show honor to people right often thank them recognize them that's an important thing to do but are we showing partiality and who are we not showing honor to is another important question okay we should wrap it up just for the sake of time but um Church, let's do this. Let's form a countercultural community that's free from partiality. Like, let's have a partiality free zone in our home group community and, and here in our gathering, and that we would really be that way. Now, again, it's not, don't think, okay, got, I'm, I'm feeling guilty, okay, you're making me feel guilty. This is exactly, no, that's not the point. It's no Jesus as the one who will give you everything you need, as the one who greatly honors those who are poor and lowly, and as the one who will never disappoint you. When you embrace Jesus and know Jesus and trust Jesus in those truths, your heart will be changed so you will be impartial. And then people who watch that will be stunned and they'll come to know Jesus. Okay, let's stand together. Let's pray. It's amazing to read your word, Jesus, and commands like this, which don't feel like it would be easy to do. We all struggle in different ways with impartiality, or with being partial, showing partiality. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all focus on you Jesus and that this week we would know you more deeply as the one who promises to meet all of our needs that we would love you as the one who shows great honor to the poorest and the lowliest and that we would rejoice in you as the one who will never disappoint us as we rely on you and that those truths we would we would find our hearts changing we would find ourselves being impartial, not showing partiality. We'd find ourselves loving, embracing, welcoming everyone. Do that in us, Lord, because we long for people to see our love and say, Jesus is from God. So help us with that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.